This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. Alrighty, guys. Welcome back to another Land Legacy Podcast. We are rolling down the road, headed to Illinois to work. And I've got Mr. Brady Bradley, Land Legacy Consultant here with me. Brady, how are you? I'm doing great, Matt. Doing great. Excited for the day. It's a beautiful day. What was it, 50 degrees this morning? I mean, we both left the house five or so. Yes. And it was like beautiful, perfect summer morning. (laughs) Oh, it was good. Um, sunrise, everything you name it, and I saw a bachelor group of bucks leaving on on the lease, and um, yeah, it was it was exciting. Just kind of honestly, it was like great way to start off a day. Absolutely, summer sunsets are great. Summer sunrises are honestly even even better, especially yes. when they start out cool. Because I'm not a man of the heat. No, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like all right, I get it. You know, it's gonna be 87 today, which someone down south is like. Yeah, so cool. I'd oh, love yeah. that. I, last week, I think it got in the 80s, and I noticed that back home, everyone mm-hmm. was like, man, thank you, Lord, for the cooler <laughs> cooler weather. And I'm thinking, man, my goodness. I know. I, it's, it's funny how your body just adjusts to yes. whatever normal, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm complaining about but 87, but, but still, it's like, you know, you get out in the timber, and it's thick, it's humid, there's no breeze. Oh, it, my it, goodness. I, I just... It'll wear on you pretty quick. It takes me back to my timber cruising days of <laughs> stagnant air and mosquitoes. Yes, the yes. only the only air moving is from the wings of the mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you, and or your arms swatting at yes. them. Yes, no fun. Yes. Oh, uh, well, we got we got a good couple days ahead of us. Um, we are going to be in the timber, and we're going to be um, working with some guys, revisiting some guys, and and some working on some some new parcels. Um, but excited for that. Adam's headed to North Missouri today, chatting with him on the phone. Um, and so we're just we're moving and grooving, getting some stuff done, um, visiting landowners across the country. Um, I'm going to head to North Carolina this summer. I mean, excuse me, this weekend. Um, and Adam's got a trip to uh, Pennsylvania next week, I believe. Um, so just starting all over the place. Kyle's going to be in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And then you and I have got another trip coming up uh, to, to Missouri here. So we're just having a ball, yeah. living life, enjoying enjoying our time outside in creation and uh, just trying to trying to do our part to make it better. One day at a time. But um, what we're going to do today, because this is, this is a skill set that you have. <clears throat> And not a lot of people, I think, I think necessarily know. You, you've got a, a really good history, um, education, background on timber, timber yes. management. Um, but, but one thing that you have done quite a bit of for Land Legacy, but, but uh, for Land Legacy clients, is go in and, and if you will, with a fine-tooth comb or with more or less scalpel-type precision, cut in bedding areas yeah. and and cut them <laughs> it's so it's so if you will hard we're trying to take this like difficulty of of describing what they are because they're all unique every single one of them yeah. is, is unique in the way 
that it may lay or the way that it's um, placed on uh, position on topography. Uh, but most importantly, what we're going to speak on today is the timber composition of those areas and what you do to manipulate that timber composition to get the adequate amount of sunlight, get the adequate amount of debris on the ground, and, and, and basically float the line between those two that you have you know, the, the right outcome. And yeah. you've got like three tools in the toolbox to be able to do that. So we're going to chat about that. Uh, but before we do that, we want to give a quick shout out to Onyx. Obviously, you and I use Onyx all the time yeah. when we're talking about going to clients' properties. Maybe I'll go and do like, you know, initial consultation and then they're following up and say, yeah, I, I need those bedding tickets in. I, I don't want, you know, large contract crew to come in and do it and it's more work than I really can do myself. That's where you'll slide in, be very scalpel precision, but like map those puppies out, send them to you, the client. Everyone has a good understanding of where they are at on the landscape, the boundaries of those units. And so basically it takes like the guesswork out of yeah. where they go. So we're using <clears throat> Onyx all the time. We've already got it mapped out for where we're heading at today, different timber units and what we're going to be um, evaluating and working with to improve habitat and timber quality on this specific parcel. So I, uh, it is a no-brainer, use it all the time. Um, and if you're not utilizing it, you should be if you're owning land and trying to improve it. So make sure you go check out the Onyx app. There's a lot of other cool features on the Onyx desktop. And if you're not an Elite member, use the code LEGACY20 at checkout to become an Elite member with 20% off code for Onyx. Okay, so as, as we're talking about bedding thickets, Brady, um, we mentioned there a few moments ago how you're really trying to ride the line essentially of from an overstory, midstory situation, how do you manipulate those, the, the canopy, right? Yeah. to a degree where you open up enough of the canopy to get the adequate sunlight in, but you don't put too much clutter or debris on the ground to where it's more usable. And how do you make those decisions to to balance both of those out, ride those out, with a consideration and an understanding that essentially you've got three different techniques yeah. tools to be able to use and, and what those are is felling so where you're where you're just flush cutting the tree and yeah. it's laying all the way down you have the ability to hinge cut and then you have the ability to girdle and spray which is killing the tree while it's standing and letting it die slowly but that's opening up the canopy and not putting that debris on the ground yeah. so so <coughs> I think it'd be very valuable because we have to, we get the question pretty often, like how do you make those determinations of what practice you do where? And and it's I can tell you right off the bat, it's not just one practice that you go into each bedding thing and say I'm going to apply that here. It's it's a combination of all of them every single time. Oh yeah. But but I want you for the honest listening because I don't know how many acres of bedding thickets that you've cut in, <laughs> the states that you've cut them in in but but it runs the gamut of of varying um timber composition tree species 
what you're doing with them, how you're making those decisions. And, and it's not like something that, you know, I, all I do is just tell you, hey, betting thicket here. Yeah. Maybe, hey, I, I noticed when I was in there, there, there's great walnuts or, hey, that one's going to be a little bit thicker, there's mm-hmm. a higher stem count. But, but it's not like I'm guiding you and telling you what to do. You know well enough to be able to go in and say, okay, in here, here's what we need to do. And, and, and up front, too, another, another option um, or scenario that sometimes has to get played out is dude, there's, it's just at a stage or it's at a point where literally it is best because of maybe there's a heavier cedar load in there mm-hmm. where we're going to fell everything. There's n- and it may not be you know, extremely um, navigable, Initially, I don't. I may have just made that word up, but <laughs> it sounded good to me. It, it sounded funny when I said it, but I, I think I, I think people got the idea, yeah. right? Um, but where initially it may not be as, as useful, functional, but it has to have fire, and then it's like perfect. So, yeah. <clears throat> in in particular, you were just up in northern Missouri um, a week or two ago, yeah. and, and and worked on a property. Um, and it had a lot of different ways you would approach a bedding thing just because of the timber composition that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just I, I, w- I want to honestly just turn over and let everyone listen to um, listen to you kind of talk about the approach, and then I'll and I'll step in and add a couple of notes here and there as you're talking. Yeah. So I think I think first off for me, what I try to do is you know obviously talking to you and talking to the landowner really try to get a, a feel for what the landowner expects on mm-hmm. their property. Um, you know, that, that particular landowner last week in northern Missouri, he, he was real particular about his walnut, which he should have been. He had a, yeah, a yeah. ton of walnut on his property. After already harvesting. And so. they just harvested, yeah. Yep, yep. So that that's obviously one thing that I was keeping in mind when going through going through and, uh, you know, cutting in these, these bedding thickets. Um, so I was paying attention to the overstory, obviously wanting to maintain those those walnuts, um, but and, and maintain the healthy walnuts. Too. The healthy walnuts, yeah, and there were quite a few walnuts that I actually took out. Yeah, that I knew would not make would not make you know good logs for him for future income, or they were split or already starting to rot, twisted, so I, twisted. Bent. Yeah, and I mean, you get a lot of closed canopy timber. You get uh-huh. a lot of trees that are. They're just undesirable from a market standpoint or a wildlife standpoint. And, and, and right, it, just because it's a walnut species doesn't mean it's a healthy, viable, valuable Absolutely. walnut. Absolutely, just like just like white oak. Uh-huh. You know, not every white oak produces a ton of acorns. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you're managing for deer, managing for wildlife, you want your you want your best quality producer on the landscape. So hey, I don't mean to cut you off right there. No, you're good. What surprises me about walnut is the amount of browse that it does receive. Oh, I yeah. wouldn't have, I, I don't know, just the the hard, hardwood nature of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it just su- surprised me that it receives so much browsing selection from deer that it does. Yeah. Early spring, man, I, it gets absolutely Hammer. pounded. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, you know, elm, maple, that sort of thing, uh, black gum, Dogwood, it's like yeah, those I can I can easily understand. Yeah. Um, 
But but the walnut, I, I've seen it they love just it. absolutely get Hammer destroyed. It. Yes. So that's where it's like, hey, if there are those options, um, uh, you know, it's knock a great down. thing to be able to knock down. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So so that property, you know, that was that was a little. I don't cut a lot of bedding thickets where the landowners are like, hey, I, I want to really pay attention to my timber, especially, or I I don't typically cut areas with that much walnut, mm-hmm. just because most of the areas that we do cut are lower grade timber. Yes. Most of the time you can go in there and just cut everything down and don't have to worry about getting hit in the wallet with it. Yes. Um, Like, say, the other bed and thicket that I cut that same day, I would say it was probably 80% cedars. Yeah. And, I mean, it was just nasty and and thick. (laughs) It was only half an acre, and it only took me three hours to do because you cut one cedar, you open up a huge gap in the canopy. Mm -hmm. They were massive. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to go about them a little bit different. Obviously, the one that was heavier cedars, I wanted to get all of those out, get them on the ground. Yep. And, you know, post-management is going to really play a huge factor in that one. Go in there, burn it, get that cedar debris out of there. It may be a little void for deer getting in there bedding in the middle of it, but they'll use the edges. For sure. And, while all you know, all wildlife will use the edges. The, in, the interior may just be a little hectic for a little bit. Until um, it gets that until fire. it gets that fire into it, yeah, yep. absolutely. Yep. And then the other one was a little bit different. I used a lot more techniques. I used a lot of girdle and spray, mm-hmm. um, especially around my big walnuts that I wanted to keep. And you know, dropping trees. There were that one had a ton of ironwood in it, so yep. I dropped all the ironwood, came back and sprayed them. Yep. Um, but it, and that one, my main focus was obviously getting light on the ground, and then maintaining those walnuts and releasing those walnuts as most most timber you see is going to be overstocked you have a lot of tall trees yep but they don't have much girth correct so giving them that sunlight it's going to cause them to get a little bit bigger in diameter going to make them a better tree from a market standpoint so so with with that unit in particular one how big was it uh it was about a little over about an acre and a half about an acre and a half yeah um how many trees do you think in that acre and a half were left standing and untreated because that you know I, we've got a video we're probably going to share with this podcast um, that that you shot while in there. It looks like there's a lot of trees still standing, but <laughs> but it's there's a lot of them are girdle and sprayed though too. So out of that acre and a half, how many were left untreated? And then we'll say okay, how many were left standing in total? And then we'll know how much were actually treated. I would say. The only trees I left standing in that unit were the walnut. Okay. So I strategically left trees, bigger, larger trees around the walnut and girdled those. Mm-hmm. And the, only, the main reason I did that was just because I didn't want to fell those trees. I knew that they were going to hit the walnut. I didn't break want to a limb, break damage. a limb or damage that walnut. And then on yeah. the other hand, I didn't want, you can get some sun shock. Yeah. And I didn't want that. So I figured, hey, if I girdle these trees, yeah. let them die slowly. Yep. That sun hits these hits the walnuts a little bit slower, adds a little bit of protection from the wind. Mm-hmm. But I would say in that acre and a half, there were probably fifteen really good walnuts mm-hmm. in the middle of it. You know, there were a lot around the edge, fifteen yep. to twenty, and probably and good younger walnuts. Younger walnuts. There were yep. some that probably could have been cut now, but yep. especially you know the next cut going to be very good for him. Um, there may not even have been that many. I'd say I'd lean more towards 15. And then I'd probably leave two or three around those. And yep. those were all girdled. You okay. know, any anything from 
um, elm. There were some some bigger red oaks in there. Shingle oak was mm-hmm. most of them. Some bigger shingle oak elms. There were some bigger ash that I ringed um, so, or that so I rung. I'm sorry. Forty five trees to fifty trees were standing in the in the uh, actual. Maybe yeah, maybe a little a less. Yeah. Okay, maybe a little less, but but let's say two thirds of them were girdled and sprayed. girdled and sprayed. Yeah. So we don't have a we have a, we have trees standing, but but in the, again, that's the video. It, it's it's it is a lot of um, it's it's just fooling to the eye essentially to, yeah. to someone who's look because they they don't know yet right from from the video how many are actually girdled. But that's why I want to talk about it because yeah. and just give some real numbers to people because I think that what what trips people up the most is like. Yes, we do need it to be a thicket, and by the name of it, the the nature of it, it needs to be a thicket. But how thick is always the, the question yeah. of like, what do you do with it, and how do you create and manage that thickness to where you have deer utilizing it, using the entire acre and yeah. a half, um, and 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 how do you how do you how do you mitigate that? And then, you know, those are some of the bigger overstory trees that we're yeah. talking about. The mid-story trees. What were those comprised of? A lot. I think you said a lot of ironwood. And what were you Mostly doing with those felling and hinging? I was hinging. There was a ton of ironwood, so I, I would. I was going in that that particular area had a ton of ironwood and elm in the understory. <coughs> so I was hinging some of the elm. Yep. Cutting and uh, dropping all of the ironwood. Yep. Um, hinging some of the elm, cutting some of the elm. Had a good stand of redbud. I'm I'm a big fan of redbuds. Deer love browsing redbuds. So I was, you know, taking some of those or most of those down as well, hinging some of those, cut and drop. Um, But I I did come in and spray almost all of the ironwood. And and let's talk about ironwood for a second because there's one thing that I notice with it, or I guess two things, two things I guess I notice with it when it's been cut. Number one, it is a... For those who don't know it, um, it's going to be on your north slope, typically, yep. or a very shaded um, yes. uh, uh, overstory environment. It is a mid-story type tree, like a redbud or like a dogwood. Yep. Um, you know, a, a six-inch DBH ironwood's pretty big. So, <laughs> I so was getting into some that were every oof. bit of 11 to 12. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. They were big. And that just tells you either that's been cooking for a long time, but yes. like that is a big big ironwood um but but what the issue is that they are left there they're going to continue just to dominate the canopy and that mid-story canopy is going to be you know it may not be a tall canopy but still a closed canopy um and so by cutting them uh, i I don't find that deer browse them really whatsoever like they're very very low preference i would say uh i mean it is a a scale from one to one to ten i get i give it a a two on anything browsing. Yeah. Um, but what they do, if they are cut and left to regenerate, they will send out a lot of shoots. And, and I believe they're part of the beach family. Um, and they hold their leaves yes. throughout the dormant season really well. Yep. And so, you know, let's say you go in there and you cut a bunch of them, flush cut them, um, and you, you, you treat you know, half to, to three quarters of them, you miss some or mm-hmm. or you don't treat them all intentionally, you're going to have some of them regenerate and you're essentially going to have like little tiny mini shrubs, surrogate shrubs growing back because they're re-sprouting and they're holding their leaves. So dormant season wise, 
pretty decent cover yeah. when they're low, but they don't really always stay in no. that low form because they're not being browsed and everything else is, is. being browsed. Yeah. And that's the problem. So, so right, perfect technique to go back and spray a bunch of them because there's already a plethora of them in well, there. Essentially what you're doing is if you don't go back and spray, you're just creating a new overstory on your timber mm -hmm. you know uh, mm -hmm. it's shading out all the desirables because your 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 red oaks or white oaks they sprout back if, if there are ones that are cut and those sprout back that aren't sprayed yep the deer are hammering those they're eating yes. those yes and so that's going to knock those back a little bit longer but if they're not eating the ironwood that's what's going to come back in and be your next canopy and well and, and even even on top of that too if it's not even a tree species and, and it gets shaded out relatively quickly mm -hmm. because, again, there's a ton of the ironwood in there, you would have had a heavier shading, so you would not only decrease the chances of, of, of red oak, white oak type of regeneration, but you have decreased the persistence or the longevity of species like raspberry, blackberry, mm -hmm. yeah. pokeweed, desmode, those, those sorts of beneficial Absolutely. plants, herbaceous plants that are great foraging species, have some adequate cover um, throughout the summer months and, and vertical structure going into the the dormant season but you would have probably reverted back into an understory more quickly if left yeah. untreated of gooseberry buckbrush yep. those less desirables because of yes. the sunlight like they were just dominated again more shade tolerant yeah species yeah yeah exactly not what we want in a thriving no understory especially in a bedding thicket in a bedding thicket yeah and like i said i mean this one was a little bit different obviously with the walnut um, but in my video, I remember looking back at it and sending it to you and thinking, man, I hope he doesn't think I just left all those trees standing. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, slacking today. <laughs> yeah. But, but at the end of the day, after those trees girdle, you know, after they, uh, after they die, you're, yeah. you're still looking at probably 80 to 90% canopy, uh, reduction in that, in yeah. that bedding thicket. Yeah, exactly. All while you're still improving the value of your, of your, mm -hmm. of your walnut. Yep. I, I mean, and I think that's where, you know, some of this, you can have your, your cake and eat it too. But, but at the end of the day, <clears throat> let's just say, it, it, I would say 80%, I would say 80% of bedding thicket areas are, are the areas where we're sacrificing timber value. But yeah. here's an area where you can, you can kind of have your cake and eat it too, depending on the density of those, the walnut space across those acres, right? So yep. like he's going to have some long-term value out of it but the but you still are going to have a very functional because of the way you manipulated the rest of the canopy and the mid-story you're still going to have a very functional bedding mm -hmm. thicket it's still going yeah. to serve its purpose and that's where to me if you had gone in there and just done one technique if you had hack squirted everything not nearly as functional. No. If you had gone and dropped everything, not nearly as functional. If you had gone and um, hinge cut everything, not nearly as functional. We have to be like, extremely open to the idea of using all the tools in the toolbox. Yeah. Well, well, I look at it as, you know, our big thing is replicating what nature is showing us. Yes. And you walk through the woods, not every tree is laying on the ground that's dead. Not every tree is snapped in half or not every tree is standing and dying. Mm -hmm. You have a few that are laying on the ground. You have a big canopy canopy opening. There's a 
ton of herbaceous growth right there. Or you have a, a dead snag that's died slowly. You get some herbaceous growth under it. Or you have a tree that fell that may have broke the top out of another one, kind of yep. replicating a hinge cut. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're, you're mimicking that on a smaller scale in a confined area. Yeah, and, and you're doing it right in conjunction with the topography and where you want to yeah. hold deer during daylight hours, where you want to, um, you know, have them be bedded so that you can cut them off and transition to a food source or or find a pinch point in between multiple of yeah. those units um, and, and kill them in the timber when, when, you know, rut's on and they're checking these areas. But at the end of the day, managing, managing the overstory and managing the debris load for those who want to implement this is is incredibly important. And Absolutely, yeah. You know, there's there's oh gosh, there's so much content out there um about, you know, going and creating deer beds and um and and the infatuation of of hinge cutting every yeah. tree you come across and um I guess what we're saying from a practicality standpoint, from a functional standpoint, and from a conservation standpoint is give this stuff a few more thoughts. Yeah. Slow down and pause. I don't want you to think too much about it that you overthink it and you don't do it. Mm -hmm. But I don't want you to not think about it and go in there and create a mess that doesn't serve the purpose that you intended it to serve. Yeah. Can we find the middle ground? <laughs> that, that's what that's what we're trying to essentially provide this podcast for. Um, is is to walk people through the areas where you you should be using some herbicide, you should be using some hinge cuts, and you should be using some felling um, to create that yeah. that perfect balance of all these different structure types that then is going to result in deer doing what we want them to do in those specific areas. Yeah. So it some of these some of these bedding areas too you're going to walk away from and do and you're like now that right there, I mean tonight. Yeah. <laughs> tonight they are in there. They can like there I I there's deer beds, maybe I bump deer going mm -hmm. into them or 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 it's a perfect knob where they're already selecting the bed at, but you put that structure in and it's like oh game over. Like yeah. they can move throughout, navigate everywhere, um and, and just like they're using it right here, right now, tonight, all the way through the rest of the year. The forage, again that cover is there. That's the good thing about using different techniques, using those different tools is you go in there and cut and drop everything. They it's hard for them to move a lot of the time. So that's, that's why very I, difficult. That's yeah. why I, I try to, you know, girdle and spray some of the bigger trees. Mm -hmm. Like that that particular cut I think about just because there was so much ironwood in the understory. Well I yeah. really wanted to get that on the ground. So some of the bigger trees I did just girdle mm -hmm. and let them die a little bit slower. But that still there was sunlight hitting the ground under that tree. Yes. And they could still bed there. It wasn't so thick that they couldn't get in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you you kind of leave a mosaic of you know thick, a little bit shaded or a little bit more sun here, across across that bed and thicket, and they're going to yeah. use it. You know, <coughs> immediately. Yeah. And and, and I, I love walking away from those and be like, <coughs> righteous. Yeah. Like, right on. <laughs> like like yep. I'm just gonna. I could probably 
put a camera here tonight and, yep. and watch some of these trails they'll coming in and out, and, and they will just they'll come back investigating, and they'll be browsing. And the other thing, too, is like when you do it during the growing season, I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm not cutting during the growing season. But here, us out on this. Number one, you can evaluate the canopy pretty easily. Is it yeah. harder to fell trees throughout the canopy? Yeah, sure is. You, you know, you gotta be some. You know, there gotta be some skill here. But at the end of the day, it when you're felling, you're felling trees with leaves on them, mm-hmm. and they like the trees are dying. But the leaves don't fall off. No, they don't sure fall off for at least you know the, uh, a year or more. And so now you've got canopies on the ground, trees on the ground, or trees that are hinged, and they still have leaves Immediate hanging cover, on them. Yeah. And guess what? In the winter time, in the fall time, those those canopies are just turned brown. They still yeah. have the leaves on. So again, the the cover load that's there and the value is you're not going to just randomly accidentally walk across, stumble upon an area in most people's timber that's going to have that much quality yeah. cover structure offered during a dormant season when every after the frost and all the understory is wiped out. Guess what's not wiped out? Those areas. But, yeah. Like it, and it's it's that basic of of why it works. Absolutely, yeah. And, and so those areas like you cut them late May like he's hunting over them this year. This year, yeah. And they're serving their purpose this year. Now, now there are uh, air, other areas like you mentioned earlier that re- really heavy cedar pocket, which again, <coughs> based on terrain, based on location, based on access, all those things, we need a deer to bed there. Yeah. During daylight hours, um, or or there was just not a, a better use for that area because of the conditions. So I was like, well, let's just stash some deer here. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that one was not one you were going to walk away from and say, oh, tonight. They're yeah. in there. <laughs> Righteous, right? Yeah. Like, that wasn't the, pers- the the perspective. It's going to require another step yeah. to be able to make it functional. But but why did you why did you feel like in that instance that it was necessary to go in and drop pretty much everything – Opposed to doing the girdling, doing doing the other, uh, applying the other techniques, because now again we're talking, we're saying openly <clears throat> that one is thicker, that one is yeah. denser. But how did you make that decision when we just talked about? Oh, you got all these techniques yeah. and this and that. Like, what was that guiding, if you will, principle that you're like, now that this is the route to go here? Yeah. Well, uh, and you know, one of the main things, obviously, on that farm, there was there was no timber value in that in that whole mm-hmm. unit absolutely mm-hmm. zero yep um you had you know a few shingle oak here and there um but 95 percent of that unit was nothing but cedars and i knew if i didn't get those cedars on the ground odds are you know you could always girdle and spray them but you still have limbs two feet off the ground all the way all the way around so it's still it's still hard for wildlife to move through that unit anyway and i figured well, you know heck if if i just go in drop it all mm-hmm Landowner can come in and burn like he, he, later he's on. He's going to be able to run fire through there better. Absolutely. Easily. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And there's going to be more more than enough fuel to carry that fire across the landscape. And then, bam, you have that fire run through, and then, boom, you have an explosion. You've got the structure there, but yeah. you've consumed a lot of the other. A lot of. Yeah. Yeah. So it was better to, if you will, because of the lack of, 
of value and because of the 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 timber load yeah yeah it was better to hammer it mm-hmm. set it up for a prescribed fire so a phase yeah. two type yeah. application to really make this um, bedding area better <coughs> it was best to set it up for that type of success and allow fire to do its thing because no matter what type of technique you would have applied with a chainsaw it wouldn't still wouldn't have been functional right away no not at all so so let's just basically hit the restart button totally on it um cut everything and then come back with prescribed fire when that unit's to be hit or during the dormant season too you can do a fuel reduction type fire Mm -hmm. um those cedar needles are going to be brown at that point Maybe there's snow on the ground. He can go back in there because of that cedar load. And um, snow burns off cedars mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Yeah. So, you know, two days after snow, the ground still got um, snow on it or it's still wet. Go back into those, dot those cedars off, light them up. That fire's not getting out or going no. anywhere. But you can reduce that fuel load efficiently. And then <clears throat> you roll right into growing season. You've created the space. You've consumed the cedar. Now you've got the regeneration of the hardwood sprouts um, and a lot more herbaceous cover, but you've you've decreased the debris of the cedar. Now they can move throughout everything yeah. and, evenly. And that unit, you know, you know, we talk about essentially like a bomb going off and and throwing all those cedars yeah. on the ground. That's not to say those deer aren't using it because there's very little of this type of feature across the landscape. Mm-hmm. You know, most of it's either closed canopy forest or open fields so they can still use the the edges of these yeah. of a unit like that and they'll be in there you know i guarantee they're in there right now yeah um but they may just not use it as much they're not going to use it as much as they would after a fire you run a fire sure. back through there and you get that second phase in, <coughs> that, in that particular thicket right right i i think it's just all all about using common sense and 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 the balancing of (coughs) mechanical reduction which tools do you use (coughs) how how do you how um extensive do you go plus herbicide as a as a follow-up tool and fire as a follow-up tool yes if you can understand how they all work together you're gonna be great at implementing bedding thickets and saying okay hey this is this is the best scenario flat out for turning this area converting this area into a functional bedding area as soon as possible yeah right but not all of them are created equal and there's guiding right principles and stuff like that if 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 what we've said on podcasts before in previous years and stuff is is kind of like the rule of thirds follow the rule of thirds and this will get you pretty dang close yeah but in most bedding areas or most uh hardwood type timber composition moderate to low value of timber absolutely yeah hinge cut a third cut and fell a third and then a third can be girdle and sprayed yes or depending on it can be cut felled and sprayed the stump treated yes but but it really can depend upon you know the the density and the the size of the uh the timber but just break it into a rule of thirds, and you're gonna have you're, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna get a B or a B plus on any thicket that you yeah. you cut if you kind of approach it like that, right? The deer are gonna appreciate it either way. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be but better. For, for longevity purposes yes. and, and maintenance. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and so with that rule of thirds is most of the, the, the hinge cut, I'm going to go from like a six to eight inch DVH yeah. and less. Yeah. That Those are the trees that would, would potentially qualify for a hinge cut, specifically the softer of the hardwood species. Yes. They're more mid-story species, hackberry, elm. Uh, redbud, dogwood, um, some of the smaller walnuts, which that's not a a softer hardwood. But um, when when it's six inches and less and you're hinging it at about thigh high, hip Mm -hmm. high, you can control where that tree goes with pretty much the push of a hand. Absolutely. So so it's it's very – it's not a dangerous cut. Anything bigger than that, like let's be really – let's be really – safe with what we're doing yeah um okay then we're stepping up into your your um eight inch plus dbh some of those are going to get cut and fell just depending mm-hmm. on the species they're going to cut fell drop to the ground um lay flat but they've got a big enough canopy in most times that there's going to be pretty decent structure oh, across yeah. the ground and and up those those size trees um directionally felling it's pretty easy because in, in a relatively close camp, like they're, they're probably leaning one way to fight for yeah, sunlight, right? Uh, exactly. So, man, yeah. you could put a face cut, a relief cut into those things, and boom, they're there going where you want yeah. to go. Um, but but then you step up into the next size tree. That was probably 8-inch to about a 15-inch mm-hmm. DBH tree. Yep. Um, the next third is probably where I'm going to start really evaluating and saying, should I girdle this thing? Yeah. <laughs> should I should I should I leave it staying? Not necessarily because hey, I don't feel comfortable cutting those trees, but it's more or less, do I need to put that much debris on the ground? Exactly. How long is that tree going to take to rot down? A lot. How long is an eighteen-inch <coughs> tree going to take to rot down compared to an eight-inch tree? Uh, absolutely. Or fire, to, or fire to get to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and or after you've done some of the you've addressed some of the smaller uh, DBH trees, whether you've hinged them, uh, I guess specifically if you, if you have hinged the six-inch trees or less um, first, and then you go to some of these bigger trees. Those, that tree's got to fall somewhere. Yeah. It's going to fall on those hinges and poof, break yeah. them or stress them out. Where, uh, hey, that now now. That's that that wasn't as usable, right? Exactly. So yeah. I'm going to try and manage the debris with the smaller trees, place where I really need to go, and then come back and girdle those larger ones. overstory yeah. trees, um, and and throw some adequate sunlight down on the ground. It may not be as instant. Because some of the trees, just depending on species and the time of the year, it's going to take weeks or several months to have them die out completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's okay. Yeah. It's fine. Because at the end of the day, years and years down the road, that area is still going to be providing adequate structure, cover, forage that we are going, that's going to strongly relate to deer bedding in there yeah. year after year after year after year. Higher stem count areas coming back. Um, brambles, some forbs, potentially some grasses um, that are just naturally going to regenerate themselves based on that sunlight and structure. Vine, like grapevine coming over, climbing over canopies and stuff. Like it's going to be, it's going to be great. Yeah. But you just have to be mindful of it. So I would say that's a general approach to um, how we attack a bedding area. Is that kind of rule of thirds there? Yeah. Um, 
But again, we could also go to some areas like you just talked about yeah. <laughs> where it's like, boy, there's nothing here worth saving. Nothing. And the best thing to do is just literally the chop and drop method and let fire sort it out. Like fire is going to do really good on the cedar, the 80% cedar load that's in here. We'll have cedar skeletons left, but it's going to burn up some of the the higher stem count shingle oaks and yeah. and the other um, elm hackberry type uh, saplings that were in here. But it's going to create enough <coughs> holes in this debris that deer are going to move through here. We're going to have that debris of the cedar skeleton to allow vegetation to grow up and around. There's the woody structure in the unit for quite a few years yeah. because the cedar cedar skeletons take a good while to, to burn up. So, um, yeah, I, 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 what else do you have to add to to betting things? Any other, like, tips, techniques that you have that you that you tell someone getting started? Like, that's that's what I would do to to initially get started or or maybe the the tip is don't do this like you you may have seen a lot of this out there but just don't fall into that trap like what what would you say well well one thing before that i was going to say that other bed and thicket you know i was obviously spraying i hardly used any herbicide in the one with mostly cedars obviously because cedars uh you don't have to come back and spray the stumps. So you yeah. complete flush cut. You don't have to come back and spray the stumps. But even on a lot of the shingle oak in that unit, I wanted to to get that woody browse yes. to come back. So I, d- I didn't have to go back in that one and do a lot of spraying. Uh, I wanted to throw that one in there. But, right. you know, as far as some tips, obviously the right place <laughs> is the big one. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. you you see some, some people maybe throw them in some – some areas that they really shouldn't throw them in. Um, well, at, we were talking to Adam, and he was talking. He he was on a place um, here relatively recently, and I guess a prior consultant had suggested just to go in there and you know mess it up and and yeah. make it like a tornado. But it was a it was a big bottomland area, and um, you know they 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 cut the timber pretty hard, mm-hmm. but what came back was was multiple rows, and so. Yeah. It's bottom land. It's not as easily burned. Yep. You're going to have to go back in with foliar treatment to address the multi-floor rows. It wasn't done ahead of time. Maybe there's a tip right there or something I always do is, yeah. man, if there's invasives in your timber, before you open it up, D- you have to spray. Out. Yeah, got, like, knock them out. Bar none, you have to spray. Because going back into an area that you've cut that's got debris everywhere, <laughs> dude, that stinks it's to go back to in and, and spray. Yeah. yeah, it really is. It's going to grow up. It's going to be thick. Um, so... Just treat it ahead of time where it's way easier to, to treat those invasives. Uh, but, like, that location, well, it, it, it caused more problems at the yeah, end of the Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just caused them more work. Yeah. So, like, so these two areas that we're, that, that we put those bedding thickets <coughs> in, yep. they were close to the bottom, but they were up on the ridge where, mm-hmm. you, where it was still dry enough that you could run a, you could run a fire <coughs> through there. All included within a fire unit. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely, they were in great spots for the for the landowner to get in there and and hunt. Maybe get in close. Maybe really get in during the rut. Mm-hmm. But but you know they were in places that deer really wanted to be. Yep. There were beds in all of these units before. You know, just walking around flagging the unit, there were beds everywhere. Yep. But yeah, I mean that's that's one of my main things is make sure you're putting it in the right spot. I think of not only future hunting the accessibility there but if you have access to be able to hunt it you're going to have access to be able to maintain it yeah unless it's in an area like bottom ground where like that the tool that you'd like to be able to use 
it's it's harder to apply there. So yeah. <clears throat> just really think about that because you you're gonna be opening up the canopy. You're going to be you know um, having new growth come in. That's the whole point. Make sure it's the right growth. And, yeah. and if it's not, make sure you can do something about it. Absolutely. I mean, if if I, you know, obviously we have to use herbicides to do what we do. But if I can if I can maintain it with fire as much with fire, oh, I'd much yeah. rather do that than use turner herbicides. A thousand you know? percent. So. Me too. Me too. Um, and and uh, an area. So like I did, I did uh, some TSI work <coughs> and did. Uh, betting to get there at the the home place and had gone through and did foliar applications on um, bush honeysuckle multiflora rose specifically in the understory, um, but inevitably after after having some sunlight for a couple of years, um, there's some species some of those species are coming back mm-hmm. because the seed source is there, the sunlight's there. Yeah. But what we did this year was delayed a fire until early April. And burn them later. Yeah. We've got some social media videos to share this. Uh, Adam and Chad did the same thing on their place. But the multiple rows, the bush shining cycle, dude, it's not coming back after that fire. Yeah. Which is great. I so so reduce reduce that load of those. I would say half. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. On on what what burned um, adequately cleanly, and I have very patchy fuel, so that's why it's like half of it got burned, not resprouting. Now I just reduced the herbicide and the time I have to spend to use herbicide Absolutely. on a foliar treatment by half. Well, you think Wonderful. about I, I, I did the same thing on our place this mm-hmm. year. Waited, waited to burn it real late yep. end of April, just like y'all. And and instead of having to spray all of multiflora bush honeysuckle before, I waited till afterwards, just like y'all. Half of them didn't mm-hmm. come back. And now, instead of spraying a a 55 gallon drum or bigger full of multiflora rose i'm having yeah. to spray what a, a basketball maybe yeah that, that re-sprouted back <coughs> and the amount exactly. of just like you said herbicide that you're saving is yep. time that adds up time it, money yeah. it adds up a lot and, and i think people miss that because honestly i think people initially just miss the the need for the follow-up management yeah which is which is just a shame it it would be like building a brand new house and then just never, never getting the power washer out, and never spraying yeah. the mil- mildew, or never cutting yeah. the shrubs back from around the base, or or never treating for pests, and you get termites. Like, like you wouldn't do that. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't invest all that time and energy and money into building something to just go. watch it. Yeah, just literally watch it go to crap. Yeah. and and um, without without the maintenance. So like, this work. Just like anything good has to be maintained in life. Yeah. You could you you know most businesses don't run themselves, right? Like you have to keep investing in employees, keep investing in technology, keep investing in equipment, maintaining the business um, as such, training, what have you, like you just don't set it and forget it yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And so make sure you're keeping that mindset of when you're doing improving the habitat, specifically bedding areas. Man, th- these are the these are the foundational pieces yeah. uh, of a property. Food plots are great and they're fun. Um, I like to hunt over them, but but when I'm hunting over uh, uh, on a, on a well designed place, and I might be hunting a food plot, I'm gonna say, well, that's the bend there, and they're coming from there. Yeah. And I have the wind right. Like I'm still I'm still hunting in relation to where I think deer are bedded at. I'm just 
I'm, I'm, I'm either transitioning in between the food and the bedding or I'm just letting them because there, there's plenty of daylight activity. I'm just going to hum on the food source. Yeah. <coughs> Regardless, paramount to have these on, on a property and Absolutely. then um, paramount to maintain them. Yes. Cut, the, cut them in right. Use all the tools in the toolbox. Don't get lazy with it. Just be, keep, keep a, let's say, a balance of this is functional. I need to maintain its function. And you'll have, you'll have honestly, great success over yeah. it. Yeah. No, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And another thing that I was thinking about was maybe another kind of a tip for individuals want to implement these things, but really worried about the timber on their property. You know, they may mm-hmm. really want that timber value. I've I've been implementing these even when I was more timber-oriented before Land and Legacy. Mm -hmm. When I was working down south, there's a reason that foresters use these types of cuts across the landscape for for timber value as well. You you go in, you find an area maybe with lower income, lower timber value, but you may have a few very sporadic good white oaks, good red oaks, good... good, producers yep. and you clear like seed trees yeah seed trees yep. yeah you clear around those trees and bam it's essentially a bedding thicket if mm-hmm. you look at it from that standpoint and you've just in, you know you've increased the productivity from those uh more productive trees you've allowed allowed uh, the acorns to sprout yep so i mean even if you even if you say hey i'm more tim- timber oriented it's still you there's a huge benefit and, and, and for both sides. Yeah. I think if you're timber oriented, you better be understanding that Absolutely. there's yeah. long term there's long term um, goals that need to be reached there. Yeah. So like not every timber um, you're not gonna have a timber harvest every three years on no. a property. Yeah. So so doing some of these practices and I'm gonna call it for a bad term, a sacrifice area. Because yeah. again, you you might be sacrificing some some future value a little bit, but there's a perfect scenario where you're creating future value. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. Um. So so, just just know that there's a balance in all of this. Um, and that you can be very much intentional about the way you manage your timber to produce income but still have adequate bedding yes absolutely across across the landscape so absolutely um well guys i appreciate i appreciate you listening we're getting uh on up here close to to where we need to be signed off but um appreciate everyone listening and following along diligently make sure you're you're entering yourself into the the brood ring contest and the sawdust and fire and land legacy um habitat podcast facebook page a um, lot of entries but make sure you go in there and uh, enjoying all the content and seeing that roll through so i appreciate you guys listening boy it's velvet season let's get out there I know. have fun man it's right here i'll see you guys next week